0: This episode of Beyond the Fog Radio is sponsored by the Lake Chalet, located in Oakland. They also have the Beach Chalet on Ocean Beach and the Park Chalet near Golden Gate Park in San Francisco.
1: The Lake Chalet is on Lake Merritt, and you can sit right on the pier. And it's very cool to check out.
2: It's so lovely to sit out on the dock, order a drink, watch the boaters row by, Because in a big city, it really feels very much like a small town with all the small boats on the lake. It's so lovely. The Lorraine Hansberry Theater is San Francisco's premier African-American theater. It was founded in 1981 by Stanley E. Williams and Quentin Easter in the heart of San Francisco. Lorraine Hansberry Theater has presented a wide range of playwrights, from works by Nobel laureates such as Derek Walcott and Toni Morrison, to Pulitzer Prize-winning writers like Charles Fuller, Alice Walker, and August Wilson, as well as musical theater celebrating the life of Duke Ellington, Bessie Smith, Lester Young, and Eubie Blake, and award-winning dramas by James Baldwin, Langston Hughes, and of course, Lorraine Hansberry.
1: Susan and Michaela interviewed Margot Hall, the artistic director of Lorraine Hansberry Theatre, in November of 2021.
2: I'm Susan Brown. I'm Michaela Joy O'Shea.
0: And I'm Jay Yee. You're listening to Beyond the Fog Radio,
1: our podcast about the untold stories of San Francisco's long history from the people that have helped shape it. Whether you're new to San Francisco or have lived here your entire life, join us as we share the stories of our city by the bay.
0: So theater for me is really my, it's my, truly my biggest love. I did not become an actress, but I have a, you know, a degree from NYU in theater. I've studied theater my whole life. I was part of uh, the Black Actors Workshop at ACT and I've gone to Berkeley Rep. I've seen plays all over New York City, little teeny plays and big plays And San Francisco has so much important theater. It's, you know, I'm just so excited for this interview because community theater is really huge here in San Francisco.
2: I have a very keen interest in community theater because I also, as we've talked about, I have a little bit of a theater background when I was growing up. And for me, big theater has been usually what I see. But now doing this podcast, meeting all of these people, getting into the community more of artistic San Francisco. Now I'm I'm all about it and I can't wait to experience more of the community theater here. And I kind of feel like Jay's the same way, yeah.
1: Most definitely. For me, I grew up with immigrant parents. So all the classic playwrights and and theater and musical like that wasn't accessible for me. So my experience of community theater was when they came to our schools. And as an adult, to have the opportunity to go to a live play or a live musical, it's phenomenal. You know, in high school, I just loved watching the production happen and everyone coordinating and being in sync at the same time, it was just amazing. So now that we're starting to open back up and people are being safe, I am looking forward to going to more theaters.
2: Speaking of community theater, one of the most exciting new changes this year in February 2021 was the new artistic director of Lorraine Hansberry Theater. Her name is Margot Hall.
3: My name is Margot Hall. I am an actor, director, educator, and activist, and I am the artistic director of the Lorraine Hansberry Theater.
2: Welcome to our podcast. We are so happy to have you here, and we're going to ask you a couple of questions. It's going to be very conversational, and we very much focus on San Francisco.
0: We're doing our film and theater series, and there's no way on the earth I could do theater series without Lorraine Hansberry Theater. Yes. Yes. No way. No way. (laughs) So can you tell us a little bit, a lot of people who are a couple generations younger than me don't really know who Lorraine Hansberry was. Can you tell us about who Lorraine Hansberry was, her significance, and then why the theater is named, the you know, the history of the theater?
3: Yes. Oh, Lorraine Hansberry, one of my favorite (laughs) icons of all time. I've always known who Lorraine Hansberry was from a young age, probably like Seven years old, I remember my mom telling me about Lorraine Hansberry. I'll give you a little background. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, and my stepfather worked for Motown. So I was totally surrounded by all of these amazing artists growing up. Aretha Franklin, Temptations, all of that. The Supremes, my dad was the ranger and producer for the Supremes. So I performed on stage with the Supremes. So saying all that to say that I was totally surrounded by Black culture my entire life growing up. Very uh, Black-centric education and I learned about Langston Hughes, Lorraine Hansberry, James Baldwin at a very young age. I was always fascinated with Lorraine Hansberry, not only for her play that everyone knows her for, A Raisin in the Sun, but for her radical vision and her politics. She was right up there with all of the, I wouldn't call her militant, but she was really close. I mean, she confronted Robert F. Kennedy they were invited to his home. And she basically stood up and said to him, you need to handle this issue around civil rights, or you're going to have black people in the streets with guns. And this was in 1963. Wow! So when I got the call, when I say the call, I mean, I really felt Lorraine Hansberry was saying to me, it's time for you to take over the Lorraine Hansberry Theater. And I'm sure that when Quentin and Stanley, the founders of Lorraine Hansberry Theater, thought about what should we name this theater company? I'm sure no other name came to them because that's what Lorraine does. She talks to you, she tells you how to continue her legacy. And I didn't ever have a conversation with them about why they chose that name, but I know what they stood for, and they stood for expertise in black drama. So black theater was Stanley and Quentin. They put their mark on San Francisco over 40 years ago, opening that in 1981 and naming it Lorraine Hansberry Theater. And I'm happy to say that I am the first black female artistic director for Lorraine Hansberry Theater. Yes.
0: It's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. Wonderful. There's a program that you brought on when you became the artistic director. Can you tell us about it?
3: Yes. The program is called New Black Voices, and it is an initiative, a mentorship program, which brings together established Black female and femme-identified playwrights with emerging Black female and femme-identified playwrights for year-long mentorships. So it was always my goal to continue Lorraine's legacy through playwriting. And I am a huge mentor myself. Throughout my career, I've mentored students, adults, friends, and I am also a teacher at UC Berkeley and at Chabot College in Hayward. And so I have constantly devoted a lot of my life to mentorships and bringing on the next generation. So one of the first initiatives I was interested in doing was to continue that through playwriting. I've had the pleasure to work with so many amazing Black female playwrights, but a lot of people don't know them, young and old. And I felt like it was time for the established Black female playwrights to mentor these emerging folks who are trying to figure out this path. Playwriting can be very daunting. You could feel like you're in a vacuum and to see someone who has taken that journey is very important for someone who's just getting their feet wet, right? They have a lot of questions. They have a lot of concerns, especially as a young black female artist. So we've gotten that mentorship going and I had a great meeting with some of our great black female playwrights over Zoom, of course. But I had the pleasure of speaking with Dominique Morceau, who uh, actually is also from Detroit. So we've been friends for a while. It's crazy. Her mentor was actually my acting teacher in high school. That's how much older I am than her. But Miss Brenda Perriman, who got me into theater, was also a mentor to Dominique Morceau. So we both have that in common. And uh, unfortunately, Brenda Pearman passed away to COVID very early on. in the. so that was a really hard blow for Dominique and I, but we're continuing her legacy, right? I met with Dominique and Lisa B. Thompson, Lydia Diamond, Ngozi, Nambi Kelly. And so I'm continuing those conversations. And the next step is to talk to mentees. So we put out a survey saying, what would you want in a mentorship? My initial instinct was that they would come together to write a play, right? We'd say, we'll have a year-long mentorship where someone will guide you in writing a new work. And then Lorraine Hansberry Theater would do workshops and employ other artists to be a part of this structure. And then Depending on where our season goes, it's a possibility we would produce the play. But in my conversations with the mentors they were saying, you know, people need different things. Not everyone needs you to help them write a play. So for instance, Dominique Morceau said, I'm not really as interested in sitting down with someone and plotting out their play. I'm interested in talking about them, about protecting their work and their journey as a black artist and what they need and the confidence they need to push their work forward. So I was like, that's great. That would be a mentorship with her. Nambi Kelly was like, oh, I love reading new plays. So I would be the one that would take this work and look at it and give them notes and things like that. So the the mentorship is just growing in different ways. And so I'm really excited to see what it's actually going to be. And then my biggest dream is for us all to have a one-week retreat at a black owned space so that we have some intergenerational learning and all of these amazing, brilliant women will come together in a space and just be. So that's my ultimate dream. Even though most of them said, girl, I can't get a week off, but I could maybe (laughs) come for a couple days. So I was like, well, I'm going to plan a week And everyone who could show up, come and, and uh, we'll zoom in and, but I want us to be together,
2: you know? Yeah. There's something really special that happens with, when everybody is together with women in a room and just everything is together all the time. There's so many creative juices flowing and, and even emotions. And I think that's such a fabulous idea. Oh, I'm excited for you. Thank you. That's awesome. Can I ask you how you're finding your mentors and your mentees? Are they
3: local San Francisco or? You know, like I said, it's constantly growing. I've met so many artists all over the United States. But at this point, we're committing at this point, our first mentorship will probably be local in the Bay Area. The mentors, again, it's just most of the, what I call established black female playwrights. They're everywhere, right? And a lot of them are writing for television these days. So they're in LA, they're in New York. Nambi is out of Chicago and Lisa B. Thompson is out of Texas, but she's from Oakland. I've known her for years. Our last production before we went into COVID, was Single Black Female, which was a Lisa B. Thompson production. So we're just looking for those who are interested in partnering with us and working with these young mentees. And my dream is that it will continue year after year, and we can add two or three mentors a year with three mentees and just continue this. This will be the ongoing legacy of Lorraine Hansberry
0: it's so fantastic cuz we haven't had super rich black culture in theater in San Francisco for a really l- um, long time. Yes, because yes. the the percentages of African Americans living in San Francisco when I grew up it was a much bigger percentage. I can't name the percentage than what it is
3: now. Right. When I moved here, I thought the percentage in 91 was around 12 to 14 percent. And I think now it's like five percent. Yeah.
0: That's what Reverend Brown was telling us.
3: Yeah. Five percent. It's about five percent. It's just very low. Very low. Yes. And my fiance, he was born and raised in San Francisco and he loves his city. He grew up going to the Giants games and just loves his city so much. And I'm also a founding member of a theater company called Camposanto, which was is based in San Francisco with Sean San Jose, who is now the artistic director of the Magic's Theater. So we're all family. We're all family. And speaking about where Lorraine Hansberry is now, as far as space, we're resident theater company. At the Magic Theater. Really? Um, yes. Congratulations. So, yes. That's
0: yes. humongous.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, it was, a, it was a battle after Stanley and Quentin passed away, finding a space. And would you, you want me to talk a little bit about the, the space and where we are with that? Sure. Please, because yeah. I, I know that you, you were at the African American Arts and Culture Center for a little while, Right. Right. So when they opened the Lorraine Hansberry Theater, I'm not quite sure when they moved into the space on Sutter Street, but it was a powerful, wonderful space. It had a beautiful theater, great subscription audience, a million-dollar theater company, Lorraine Hansberry Theater was, and thriving. And that's when I met Quentin and Stanley, and I did a couple of co-productions with them with different companies that I was just getting to meet. And then right around, I guess, 2008, this may not be exact, but they lost the space because the American Academy of Art purchased the hotel that the space was in to turn it into a dormitory. And then they decided that they wanted the theater space to be a gym. And so since it was owned by the state, they let them put them out. And so we lost that space.
2: To a gym.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It it was really heartbreaking. And there was a lot of activism around that. Folks came together and said, you cannot throw away the only black theater company in San Francisco. But unfortunately, money won and um, they were homeless. So they were performing at like the PG&E building and different spaces to try to get their footing. Finally, if you know the Post Street Theater, which is now SF Playhouse, mm-hmm. Stanley and Quentin got that space. Oh, really? And it was really exciting and very expensive. You know, by them being in the space on Sutter Street, their rent was very low because it was owned by the city, Right. So that space at Post Street, we did one season there, and then Quentin got sick. And then I think within six months, Stanley was sick. Quentin passed away, and then Stanley passed away. And I was right in the middle of doing this great play by Lynn Nottage called Fabulation. Fabulation. And we ended up doing it, ironically, at the Magic Theater. (laughs) Um, And we persevered. And we were like, Stanley, are you sure you want to go through with this? He was like, yes, we have to do this. I'm still here. And so we went ahead and we had to rehearse in a little tiny room where the offices were on Jones Street. But we were like, we're putting up this production. And during that rehearsal period, Family passed away. And so there was a search for artistic director. So, of course, at that time, I was approached <laughs> to be the artistic director. And I said, Well, I'm not ready yet. You know, I'm freelance. I'm working everywhere. I'm um, starting to direct and act. And I was teaching. And I said, Maybe in the future, not sure I'm ready for that artistic directorship yet. So, At that point, they had secured the Post Street Theater, and Stephen Anthony Jones, a former member of, company member of the American Conservatory Theater, came in as the artistic director, and We had one year at Post Street. I directed a musical there on that stage called Rejoice for a holiday show. And Stephen had three shows. So we had a season of four shows. When I say we, I've always been connected to the Lorraine Ansbury Theater. Maybe not as the artistic director, but I've always been connected. So whatever happened to them happened to me. So we had that season and it was a huge space. When SF Playhouse took over the space, they limited the seating. They had money to build out the stage and do all these things. But we had this huge grand theater. Trying to fill that was crazy. And again, a lot of our Black constituents were leaving or not around. So it was hard and we lost the space. And then we were, you know, homeless again, trying to figure out where are we going to be. And unfortunately, there weren't the big money Givers coming in to save Lorraine Hansberry Theater and saying, here's a million dollars to stay in this space. The funding is just not there. You know, we're working on that. I'm personally working on that. So we lost that space and it was heartbreaking because Stephen and I went to the opening night for the opening of the SF Playhouse for their very first production. And we were together and it was, it was hard to sit in that audience knowing this was our space. I bet. Mm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, you know, I applaud SF Playhouse and I work with them all the time, co-productions. I've done several shows with them, but every time I walk in that space, it's like, this is ours. This is our space. <laughs> uh. But luckily they have done, you know, because of my relationship with Bill and Susie, we've done co-productions. And one of our first shows inside of COVID was a production at SF Playhouse, um, a play called Hieroglyph, which we filmed the entire play and streamed it live. So it was a lot, li- not a live production, but we filmed the actual play and then we streamed it online. Because I was really interested in finding a way to be in the theater and still create that feeling of seeing a show from top to bottom, you know, with the props and the sound and the costumes and everything. And so luckily, Bill English and Susie had the mechanism and the finances to do something like that. And they were filming plays with three different cameras. So we went in and we did that. So that was our first production inside of uh, COVID. Wow. Was there any audience at all? Just us. We had very limited people, everyone, and that was Mm pre-vaccine. So you're talking about, we had to get tested every three days. Two of our actors had a intimate scene. And that was like a big deal. We had to go through the union. So we put them up in a hotel, not together, (laughs) in a hotel, tested them almost every day, and they could not leave the hotel. The hotel was across the street from the theater. Wow. And they could just come to the theater, do the thing, and then go back. And food was delivered to them. They were literally sequestered. But we really wanted to make this happen. And they did, too, because they were like, we want to do it for real. And they had to rehearse with the masks on all the time. <laughs> As a director, I couldn't go. I had to choose either be on the stage or in the audience. Once I crossed the, thresh- the threshold into the audience, I can no longer get on the stage. Wow. So we had tears of these amount of people can be this close to the stage. Other people had to be further away from the wow. stage. So it was very planned out, but it was amazing. It was a beautiful production of this new young black female playwright who I'm very (laughs) excited about, Erica Dickerson-Dispensa. I could go on and on about her, but yeah, that was our our first production. Wow, Wow, that's That's so cool. Yeah,
2: that's lovely. We'll have to check that out. Yeah. And is it still can it's you still It's not find streaming
3: it? anymore. No. You know wow. how that's okay. how theater is. It yeah, comes and it comes goes. And go. You got to catch <laughs> it when you can.
2: <laughs> when it comes back around. Yes. Um, I'd like to find out a little more about Margo. So you moved here in 1991 yes. from Detroit. Well,
3: actually. Yeah, tell from, us how you got yes, here. What I grew tro- up in Detroit. Yeah. And um, born and raised. Dad worked for stepfather worked for Motown. And I went to University of Michigan for two years to be a dentist, even though I was acting my whole life, high school, everything. And my mom wanted a doctor. So I said, okay, I'll be a dentist. How about that?
2: We you have beautiful teeth. Oh, well, thank you.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I, and after two years, I said, this is uh, ridiculous. I'm changing my major to theater. I transferred and went to school in New York, Long Island, a s- small college called Delphi University. Then I went on and got my master's at Catholic University in D.C. Luckily, there's an amazing theater, the Arena Stage, in Washington, D.C., and I got a job there right out of graduate school. And at that time, they had companies in theaters, and so Zelda Fitzhandler was just had her last year there but was still around the arena stage and I got a job playing a 16 year old even though I was in graduate school <laughs> but I'll take it <laughs> and so I worked there and I became a junior company member for a couple years I met my ex-husband who's also a local actor here I met him at arena stage and he was a new york actor who was jobbed in like they say they brought him in from new york we met within a year and a half we got married and so i moved to new york after my arena stage gig and then he got a job offer for berkeley repertory theater so we were like let's just go to california see what it, what's up so We didn't leave our place in New York. You know, you never let go of your place in New York. (laughs) No. So we were living in this cute little basement apartment. So we came out here and we never left. Wow. (laughs) Um, We got work here. It took me longer because I was known, my ex-husband's name is L. Peter Callender, and I was known as Peter's wife, right, for the longest. And I was like, look, I was at arena stage. I have a master's degree. But I was union at that time. I had my union cards, everything, my SAG, my AFTRA. I was ready to go. But it's interesting the roles that are offered. You're thinking 91 for Black females. It's better now. We're moving, we're pushing to make it even better. But, you know, where were the black female playwrights writing for us? So it took me a while to get a job. And then finally, I got a job playing Anita Hill in this amazing piece called Unquestioned Integrity. The Hill Thompson story, I think. And it was based on the transcripts of the trial. So it was all verbatim text. One guy played all of the senators. I played Anita Hill. And an artist, a friend of mine, his name is Artist. (laughs) He played Clarence Thomas. And he looks just like Clarence Thomas. And we, uh, Mame Hunt and my friend and mentor, Ellen Sebastian Chang, put together this piece based on the transcripts. And that was the very first job I got. So, you know, I'd done some readings here and there. So once that happened, everyone was like, who is this person? Who is Margot Hall? And I was like, I've been standing here. (laughs) Okay. I tried to tell you.
2: Right. Now you see me. So, uh, So
3: then people started noticing. Then I got with Campo Santo and I met these three crazy guys, Sean San Jose, Michael Torres, and Luis Saguar. May he rest in peace. And they were like, we want you to be in our theater company. And it was this crazy, gritty, raw theater company. And they're all, you know, we're all people of color. Sean is Puerto Rican and Mexican. And Luis was Basque. And Michael Torres is Cuban. And I'm African-American. And so we were going to take over San Francisco, right? So we had our little 70-seat theater At Intersection for the Arts, in the mission. And we did all the plays that everyone else was afraid to do. And we thrived. People loved our company. We were like these renegades. We didn't have a hierarchy. We didn't have an artistic director and a co-artist. We were just like, we're just doing this stuff. We started our own training facility called Compo Way. We started our projects two years out where we would just have like 10 pages of something. We worked with these amazing playwrights who would just give us their play for a dollar because we didn't have money for royalties and all of that. But they were like, no one wants to do this. And we were like, we'll take it on. So we worked with Naomi Zuka and Octavio Solis, Jose Rivera. We worked with all of these amazing playwrights and just built an audience for still going now and so, when was
2: this mid 90s yeah, yeah
3: yeah this was like 94 okay right um, when
2: the mission was
3: yeah oh it was it was sh- happening yeah. it was just i mean to go back there now i'm like you
0: can't recognize like, it like what happened, what happened to our <laughs> <child?">
3: oh yeah <laughs> it's really people
0: don't people don't get it but it was really different
3: than than now so different I mean, and we were right next to the SROs and all of those. We would bring those people in and be like, come see a play. And they'd sit in the audience and they'd love it and they'd criticize it. And <laughs> um, and we would have these things um, where we would invite the audience into the process throughout the process. We would just say, come in and listen to 20 pages of this play. Tell us what you think. And they're, they're very opinionated, right? But we had those folks from the mission, because it was about them. It was their right, stories. They've exactly. never seen themselves on stage. So yeah, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. And then, you know, Sean San Jose has continued Camposanto and we've all been a part of it, but you know, I've gone on, I'm doing television and running Lorraine Ansbury Theater, doing my thing. I branched out into working at ACT and Berkeley Rep and all these other places and writing. And Michael Torres became the head of Laney College Theater program. And Luis Aguar passed away, unfortunately, but we still hold his legacy high. And Sean San Jose now is the artistic director at the Magic Theater. So basically, it's Lorraine Hansberry Theater, Campo Santo, another theater called BACC, I think it's Idris Cooper Anifawoshe and Rotimi Akabata. Oh, I think I said his name wrong. He's going to kill me. They're also part of this residency. So we're bringing all of these people of color to San Francisco and the magic. And we're opening up that stage to give residence to folks who don't have a space. And we're about to blow it out of the water. That's (laughs)
0: Makes oh, <laughs> me so happy and excited because San Francisco has always had a very strong community theater. Mm-hmm. Very strong and very famous. The Magic Theater, Berkeley Rep, ACT, Marine the- you know, Marin Theater Company. Very strong, but a lot of the world doesn't really know that unless you're in, and I yes. mean in the theater.
3: Oh, yeah. You have Cutting Ball Theater. You have Crowded Fire. All of these st- Big, in my mind, small companies that are doing the good work, right? They're doing the work that can change the world. They're doing work that speaks to people who are in their communities. Theater, theaters in the Tenderloin, speaking to the people of the Tenderloin, you know, and so we're trying to not let that die in San Francisco. We have to fight for it. And Sean San Jose was born and raised in San Francisco. Most of the company members of Campo Santo were born and raised in San Francisco, so they're they're holding on hard <laughs> to fight for the city. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. Super incredible. Oh my
2: gosh. I'm. I'm <laughs> <away>. <laughs> I mean, it is anywhere else like this? I mean, you're talking about theater, like real community theater in San Francisco. Is it like that in New York at all?
3: You know. I'm sure they have small theaters in New York, medium size, large. I don't know a lot about their theater community. I do know that, yeah, I'm sure it is. Uh, I I mean, but it's something special, I think, about the Bay. Because our community is small enough that we can really talk to each other. I feel like New York is New York. It's big. It's off-Broadway. It's this. It's that. Chicago, I would say, maybe comes close. They have a really tight community of really amazing theater and theater companies. But I don't think anything's like the Bay in a way where we come together as a community. And, you know, we have our struggles. We went through a lot right after the George Floyd death. We went through a lot of reckoning of equity and diversity issues within our own company, and had to call some people to task. We had to call ACT and a lot of these larger companies to task about how they were representing our culture, you know, our people of color culture, and how we were being treated in these spaces. So we had a huge reckoning. But we came together and said, we need to talk. And we had healing circles. And we had meetings. I was involved in so many meetings because I am a big, I have a big mouth in this community. (laughs) So people look to me to speak the truth about what's happening. And so it was a rough time, but we're still healing. You know, we're still working on how do we make our community equitable? We speak about it. We talk about it, but what are we doing about it? And so I'm also on the board of Theater Bay Area, which is the service organization for the uh, theater community. And a lot of our work is around that justice and making sure our community is taken care of in a way where we're actually having conversations about equity and diversity for all of us for the disabled, the LGBTQ plus community, the African-American community, the Latinx community, the Filipino community, the Asian community. And that's the beauty of our community, right? It is diverse. And so we need to talk about it and do the work that shows all of us. We've seen change. You know, I've been around the block. I've been doing this for over 30 years. So my thing is, I've heard it before, unfortunately. I'm looking to see if this is different. And I do think one of the beautiful things to me that came out of this is, especially for myself, I had a huge moment of clarity when I decided to take on the position as an artistic director, at Lorraine Hansberry Theater, because I had, I felt like I had been giving a lot of my energy To helping the what we call predominantly white organizations get their stuff together and not focusing on my people. And so I was working with Marin Theater Company to deal with their issues around their production of Thomas and Sally, which was not a good show. And then, you know, I was the consultant for this piece because you need a black person to come in and kind of speak on things that need to happen in this show, in this show. And I said, you know what? I'm done. I want to devote my time to the black theater company, because they're the ones who are going to fall first. Yes. These companies are going to be fine. And so a group of us came together, me, a guy, Cleavon, Daryl Jones, who was the artistic director at the time, Daryl V. Jones, excuse me. And I just volunteered my time. I said, I'm here for Lorraine Hansberry Theater. This is long before I was the artistic director. And I said, what do you need? I don't want you to fail. I want us to thrive. And I'm now devoting my energy in one place. And so I also started the Black Theater Fund. I just said, let's do a GoFundMe for Black theaters across the United States. And someone heard me and started the fund and did a show to catapult the fund. We raised $143,000 within four months, and we were able to fund 10 theaters, ranging from $10,000 to $25,000. A lot of those theaters were local and the fund still continues. We are now deciding what do we do next, right? We granted these theaters and there was no strings attached. It's like you have your 503C, you've done some work in the last two years. There was no big application and all of that red tape that keeps a lot of folks from getting the money. Exactly. And so we were like, just send us something. We want to help you during this time. And that was just an idea. And then when I was in the meetings with Stephanie Schaffner, who's the managing director of Lorraine Hansberry Theater, she was like, okay, you're talking a lot of very interesting things. And you're speaking on a lot of very interesting things uh, about what Lorraine Hansberry Theater could do. And she said, you want to go for a walk? And I said, sure. (laughs) So we went for a little hike, very little hike. (laughs) And by the end of that conversation, I was said, yeah, I'll be the artistic director of the Lorraine Hansberry Theater. Fantastic. And what a fantastic idea. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. So the the Black Theater Fund is now with the East Bay Community Fund. And it is, we're continuing to figure out what's the next step of that money. You know, we have to do some fundraising to figure out where we want it to go next. But it, it was very empowering to do that. And it was so great. It started with me and Aldo Billingsley, who was another local actor. And we just put out the call to like five other folks. They came on board and we just said, what are we going to do? We got to distribute this money. We came together. We made an application and we got it out there. We wanted to make sure it got out before the end. I think the end of the year, we got it out to everybody.
0: That's incredible. Uh, I'm just completely blown away. That's, that's, I'm so yeah. impressed by that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for doing that, and that's right? incredible. Yeah.
2: And good for you for following your heart and being like, you know what, no, I'm done with you. We're going to focus yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. we're going to yeah.
0: focus here. Yeah. So you're also a director and a playwright.
3: I dabble in playwriting. Uh,
0: yes. <laughs> so so, so what, is, what did you write about,
3: and also what are young people of color writing about? I've worked on, I'd say, three solid projects. As a playwright, now, I've always worked in collaboration. I really believe that no one has all of the answers, and I love working with other people generating new ideas. I was a part of a collaboration of four, three other writers on a play called The People's Temple. I'm not sure if you were familiar with that. We uh, did the play at Berkeley Repertory Theater. It was based on The People's Temple and Jim Jones, and it was a play based on verbatim text, similar to the thing I did around Anita Hill. So we interviewed over 50 to 70 people uh, about the People's Temple, some folks who survived the actual day. If you're familiar, in 1978, over 918 people died in the jungle of Guyana, and it was 80% African American. A lot of people don't know that. So I'm very familiar with that. Yes, I I was was my first year at NYU. Yes. So three other writers out of New York and they wanted one local person because we needed someone local and they wanted African-American because it was mostly black folks who passed away. And unfortunately, I lost four people actually from Detroit who were part of Jonestown. So anyway, we did that play. It was based on verbatim text. We interviewed survivors of the actual day of the event when everything went down. And we also interviewed folks who grew up in the temple, people who were still in San Francisco and LA. And we put together this amazing piece where we basically wanted to take Jim Jones, a little bit out of the picture and talk about the people, because not everyone was fanatics and crazy people. These were people looking for a utopia and they were misled and put in a position with no food, but they went out there to build a community. And when there were only 500 people there, they had a community. They had... They babies were born there. They had dental work there. They had a community, but it got too crowded and Jim Jones took it in the wrong direction. And so we wanted to tell that story. So we basically put stories of people on the stage. It was very healing because there are a lot of people in San Francisco who don't talk about the fact that they were part of the People's Temple. And they would bring their friends to see the play because they never told them their history because they were shamed and these people would sit in the audience and they would be like that's that's you on stage someone's playing your character and he wow. would say this is my story wow so they were able to see it in a way where it was their truth and not what everyone said about them so that was my first uh, endeavor in playwriting and then I wrote a play called uh, Bebop Baby, a musical memoir about my time growing up in Detroit, with my dad being with the Supremes and Motown and all of that. So it was a musical that I worked with Marcus Shelby. You may know is I do yes, know. A yes. prolific <laughs> yeah. musician and his 15-piece orchestra because my father, my stepfather, had a 15-piece orchestra when I grew up. It was the New Breed Bebop Society in Detroit. And a lot of these great uh, musicians that you hear today Came up in that band. So I grew up with that band rehearsing in my basement throughout my high school years. And so we put Marcus's 15 piece orchestra on the stage at Z Space and wrote this big musical about my life growing up in Detroit. Now, Lorraine Hansberry Theater has done readings at MoEd normally twice a year. And we're about to do, we're coming back February 2nd. You have to see this reading. This play is so good that I just, at the magic, one of our folks from Campo said, I know this guy, he's got this amazing play. We should do a reading. The gentleman named Charles White came out to see the reading and we loved it. It's fantastic. I'm going to be acting in it and we're going to do that on February 2nd. And then we're hoping to do another thing with Moad. We normally would do two a year. Yeah. I and also so, am
2: curious if you play any instruments, but
3: we can talk about that. I then. used to play the flute. Really? And that was brought up in the play. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh, cool. Yeah,
3: yeah. It was a great piece. It was uh, short-lived. It was only five shows because it's expensive to have a 15-piece orchestra on the stage. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, that's something we would love. I would love to bring back if we ever got the funding to do it, to really bring it back because it was Marcus's music. Marcus composed everything. I wrote the melodies and the words to the songs. He composed the music and it was a great homage to my growing up. Um, so so then And my family got to come out and, you know, it was, it was really sweet. So my last project, which is what I'm super excited about, another collaboration with a good friend of mine named Tracy Tomer, who was in the Bay for a while, originally from Chicago, is now in New York. I reached out to Tracy and said, I really want to write a play about Lorraine Hansberry. Oh, yeah! And so when I took on the position, I read a book called Looking for Lorraine, The Radiant and Radical Life of Lorraine Hansberry by Monty Perry. And I was just so impressed with that book. And all of the stuff about Lorraine Hansberry that no one knows. And so I said, I want to write a play about Lorraine Hansberry. And I also learned in that book that she had a sisterhood friendship with Nina Simone. So then I was like, oh, my God, can you imagine Nina Simone and Lorraine Hansberry in a play together? And then I said, you got to have Jimmy Baldwin. So I reached out to Tracy. I said, let's write this play about... Lorraine, Nina, and James Baldwin. And I don't know anything else, but that's what (laughs) I want to do. And she's a great writer. And we've collaborated over the years. She was in compo for a minute. She's a dancer. So we were like, yeah, let's do it. And we just start reading all of this material. And what was it about three weeks ago? Has it been that long? We were part of this New Roots Festival of another exciting young company called SF Batco, San Francisco. Yes, yes. Yes, Bay Area Theater Company. Oh my god. These youngsters they're great. Yes. So talented. They put together this amazing festival called the New Roots Festival and they brought in all theaters of color to participate. And their goal is to have every year this annual festival showcasing Black theater. Yeah, I win. Um, not just Black, yeah. BIPOC. Yeah. yeah. And so we did an excerpt from the play and it we did a reading and it was fantastic. This play is something about it. I'm telling you, it's, it's got a life. It started with Nina singing at, the village gate and Lorraine and Jimmy were there. Nina gets mad at the audience like she did. She hates when people don't <laughs> listen to her. And, and so she curses everybody out and basically says, get out of the club. And they all go back to Lorraine's flat and they just live and they laugh and they get political and and they tell the truth. They tell the truth. And they tell the truth without concerns of the white gaze, G-A-Z-E. So they lay down a lot of stuff about how they feel in 1963 about what was happening. And this was right after Lorraine Hansberry and James Baldwin went and met with Robert F. Kennedy about the civil rights movement. It is right when Medgar Evers was gunned down in his... Uh, driveway. Yeah. So we set it right at that time. And it's about a year and a little bit before Lorraine dies. So she's sick. She has just been out of the hospital, but she's alive. She's happy. And Nina is young. Nina is the youngster in the group. And, you know, Jimmy's there with a cigarette and we had this <laughs> amazing actor, Timmy. He is James Baldwin. Okay. And Tracy... My uh, writer friend played Lorraine. She grew up in Chicago. She knows, has known about Lorraine since she was a child. She has a similar background to Lorraine, growing up in a middle-class family in Chicago, South Side, same thing. So yeah, we, we're really excited about finishing it. So we have a lot of thoughts about where it's going to go. But to do that reading and to see the response, because people don't know who Lorraine Hansberry is. And she has a... I know. Yeah. She wrote things that she liked and things that she hates in a journal. And so we had those as voiceovers in the reading. And one of the things she says is, I am sick and tired or something of a raisin in the sun because that's everything that she's known for exactly so this will is going to give us a really good opportunity to tell her story in a deep moving way and talk about her relationship to Nina Nina sang to her in the evening by the moonlight by the way that's the title of the play and that's the song that Nina sang at her funeral and she was, Nina was with her when she was dying, you know? So, yeah, it's just so exciting. Oh, it's my. So exciting. God, that's so exciting. Wow. wow. It's, yeah. Incredible.
2: I'm getting a little emotional over here.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. emotional. Yeah. Yeah. It's emotional and it's also so important because people of a certain age don't even know. Yes. Regardless of color, they don't know. Yes. Or they just know raising
3: in the Sun. Right. And that's all they know. Which, right. is Which is embarrassingly all crazy. that I know. Yeah. Yeah. But now I know so much. More. Yeah, and it's you know it's also the fact that I, I hate to get a little deep here, but this whole thing about critical race theory—they're trying to take our histories out of school, so it's up to us to make sure we continue to tell those stories because there may be a time when they won't even have access to Lorraine Hansberry. Right. So I have to tell those stories. We have to continue to do the work so that our history does not get erased because there are a lot of folks who want to erase it because of their fear. But that can't stop us because art is art. You know, we can continue to make whatever we want. And so that's what we're going to do. Thank you. Thank you
0: so much.
3: Thank you so much.
2: Yeah. Oh, you do so much. And I don't want to take up much more of your time, but I do want to ask you, Mm -hmm. you won an award recently. Yes. Your Life to Your Jerry Friedman Lifetime Achievement Award was oh, that recently? Oh, I won you have won things. a few things. Yeah, can you <laughs> Well, let's let's talk about all the things you've won. <laughs>
3: um, yeah, that Jerry Friedman, that was from the Critic Circle uh, of San Francisco. Won that a few years back. But most recently, I was granted a Reynon Fellowship for being an anchor artist of the Bay Area. And that award came with $100,000 that I can do with whatever I want. It is an award to honor the work that I've put into my community, which I love. A lot of people, they leave, you know, they go off and they do things. I stayed and fought for my community and my, my family you know, my compo family and my mentees and folks that I wanted to be here for. And they recognized that. And so they gave me a bunch of money. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was the YBCA 100, which is a Yerba Buena Center for the Arts. Yes. They honor 100 folks every year for doing good work and being part of communities and building relationships and things like that. So I was granted that as well. Yeah, 2020 was, a, was an astounding year for me inside of this horrible thing that was happening. But it gave me space to really acknowledge everything that was coming to me and gave me space to think about what do I do with that? And yeah, so those are the awards. I'm also on a TV show, which I find very crazy, <laughs> <laughs> but there was a movie... Called Blind Spotting, that came out with David Diggs and Rafael Cassell, who have been my friends for a thousand years. Yeah, okay. that's awesome. <laughs> David worked in Campo Santo. I played his mother, his sister, everything. So he and Rafa wrote this movie, and they were like, You gotta be in this movie. We're gonna do this movie about some movers. And I was like, Okay, just let me know, guys, when you're ready. <laughs> and so then it happened, right? And so it was great. We were like, yeah, we We did this thing, you know, this low budget film, but was one of the best films I've ever seen. It's all set in Oakland. Yay, rah, rah, rah. Then they're like, oh, we're going to make a television show. And it's <laughs> going to be on stars. And I'm like, a TV show on stars? So it's like, yeah. And you're, you're still in it. You're playing David's mom. Because that's the part I play in the movie. So I was like, Okay. And so I had to go down to L.A. during COVID and be sequestered for five days and take all these COVID tests and then go on set and hang out with people I love. And so I had done a little television here and there, some films. I, you know, I like that work, but I think my heart's in the theater. So that stuff is bonus stuff. It's yeah. like, ah, yeah. that's some fun stuff, right? right? And so I went on there and I did that. And then they were like, guess what? We got a season two. So now <laughs> there's another season coming oh, out. Okay. So I'm like, can you all shoot in Oakland? Because right. I got stuff to do. Yeah. So we're trying to shoot more in Oakland this time. We had one week in Oakland in the last season, like literally shot in Oakland. Wow. Of course, the whole thing takes place in Oakland. But I think they're trying to shoot more because that's their goal is to shoot the whole thing in Oakland, right? For the community, because that's where they were. Born and raised. So,
2: where are you shooting in Oakland?
3: Well, we just that one week we shot was just in a neighborhood in West Oakland, where is where we our houses are. Yeah, so Helen Hunt is in it. She plays my nemesis, not really my nemesis, (laughs) but she plays the mother of the lead guy, Rafael Casals' character. She plays his mother, and we live next door to each other. Okay, and my daughter and her daughter. Anyway, it's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> we'll watch it. But, yeah, yeah we'll it's all, we're all connected. It's yeah, so awesome. Yeah. So Fun. it's a continuation of the film. Yeah, some, something. Well, they really wanted to focus on the women in the story, so they both took a back seat, and they put the women forward for the TV show.
2: Oh, oh wow. So cool. your character sounds like it's pretty prominent in the show.
3: Yeah, it started, you know, they're slowly building. I was in six episodes, Little bits here and there. And then one episode where, because I was like, this is cool, right? I go down. I do my little bit. I come back. I get a little taste of the TV world. Yeah. And I come back and I run the Ransbury Theater and I go to UC yeah. Berkeley <laughs> yeah. and I do all my stuff. Right. Life, yeah. right. Yeah. And then, then they gave me a script. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm in this whole thing. <laughs> I have to learn a monologue? Oh, dear. So, uh, so that was like the biggest one, episode six, was where I was more prominent. I'm a little nervous because I don't know what they're going to do with Nancy, but it sounds like they want more of Nancy. So we'll see how that goes.
2: Okay. Yeah. Well, that's fun. Yeah,
3: it's fun. It's fun. I'm I'm excited. And the show is great. It it just got nominated for a Gotham Award, which is some big deal award, about new exciting television shows. And so that's great to be up there after one season. We got a hundred on Rotten Tomatoes that's important that
2: is important June. that doesn't happen very often
3: <laughs> uh, Yeah. yeah so um that stuff is fun that's, that's super cool. fun that and is. do you
2: think that gives you a little bit larger platform for yes. your voice in the community theater yes. at Lorraine Hansberry yeah 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 that's fabulous I yeah. love that oh congratulations yeah
0: congratulations thank you, wow. thank you so yeah. much
2: yeah. oh Margot it's so it's so wonderful to to chat with you and hear your story and what an honor for us really. You know, I know like I appreciate you honor. inviting
3: yeah. me. I really do. No. Yeah. The more we can have conversations, the more we can talk about the work that's going to make change. Yeah. You know. So Absolutely. So, yeah. It's really been a pleasure, Margot. Thank you so much
0: Thank for you. joining us on Beyond the Fog Radio. Yes, my pleasure.
2: Wow. I am so astounded and excited and completely inspired by this woman. And I think beyond the fact that she's done super cool things like blind spotting and has a new TV show, you know, she's kind of a big deal. (laughs) What I from that interview was actually the even bigger deal that's unknown that we were able to talk about and share with everybody was that she is bringing back Black community theater to cities. And it's starting in San Francisco. And I think what we sort of talked about after our interview offline was The way that Margot grew up around music and the Supremes and Temptations and in Motown. So she saw that thriving community. And I think she's really putting that to use here in her adult life, in her community, and she's seen it firsthand. I mean, Aretha Franklin sang at her mother's funeral. You wow. know, she she's all about the black community, and I am just so excited to see what she does. I mean, this is just the beginning and the tipping point. So I'm so inspired by her, and I just could go on and on and on, but <laughs> I won't. Um,
1: oh, man, I have so much Fomo here. <laughs> it sounds like an amazing conversation. You know, I unfortunately was not able to be there. I did do a lot of homework in learning about Margot Hall and finding out she was part of Blind Spotting and I love watching Blind Spotting. It's so Bay Area. It's so it's so amazing and it the story is remarkable. And she's good friends with David Diggs, which my wife loves David Diggs. So I wish I was there, Susan. How how was meeting Margot Hall for you?
0: Oh my gosh, she's so iconic, and what I love is that she really represents what the what theater is. For her, theater is everything. Black theater and dynamic black theater is what she's all about, and that's the direction she's taking Lorraine Hansberry in. Wow. And it's just, there's no ego about it either. It's about telling a story and telling many stories of many important people and not having our history be erased. And so for me, that's what this interview was all about.
2: Yeah, when she talked about theater changing the world, I mean, I was totally hooked. That's why I want to backtrack and look at community theater in our area. I mean, she's bringing back the importance of it and getting people excited about it. Like let's go to our hometown and go see some people do some great acting.
1: Sounds like a wonderful person and conversation that I am so sorry I missed, but you know, that's what's really great about podcasts. I get to go back and listen to it and be like right there next to you.
2: Yeah. And you can also check out the photos of Margot on our social media. We're at Beyond the Fog Radio on Instagram and on Facebook.
1: Next week, we'll hear from Zoe Elton, who is the program director of the Mill Valley Film Festival.
0: And you can hear that episode on Beyond the Fog Radio on Spotify, Google or Apple or wherever you get your podcast. A new episode comes out every Wednesday. Help us out and subscribe so that we can keep bringing you these amazing interviews.
2: Beyond the Fog Radio is created by Connor Chang, Tim Johnson, Tim O'Shea, and Arliss Hayes.
1: And that concludes this week's episode of Beyond the Fog Radio. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next week. Take care now. Bye-bye.
2: Bye-bye now.
0: On the Fog Radio, all rights reserved, 2021.